0: So what changed in 13 years? What wound up changing in 2005? Was it them reaching out to you or who had the change of heart? Who saw the potential, I should say, of adding in those suspended cords into a metal framework?
1: Uh, Some promoters.
0: Welcome to Discog the podcast that gives Gen X Music Maniacs a chance to smell like teen spirit again by connecting with the brotherhood obsessed with rating the entire discography of every single artist and band that ever mattered. I'm your host, Dave Gebro, and with three new episodes each week, you're going to gain a comprehensive knowledge of an act's history and output in the time it takes to listen to one album. And in this episode, we'll be turning our spray cans on Alex Skolnick in an interview that manages to shred more expectations than it does batshit crazy riffage. This is part two of the interview, a.k.a. the better of the two halves. In this episode, Alex talks with Discog Graffiti about whether he prefers the classic early testament records or the later stuff, his search for more adventurous musical landscapes and the resistance it initially caused within the band, and the most ambitious project upon which he's ever embarked, the absolutely amazing Planetary Coalition. Coming up, we've got Mike Watt rating the entirety of the Minutemen's output, Mark Robinson from Unrest rating everything he's ever done, Robert Schneider from the Apple And stereo rating everything he's ever done and Will Hart from the Olivia Tremor Control rating everything they ever did. Oh and Michelle Phillips rating everything she's ever done alongside Mamas and Papas author Richard C. Campbell who's written a brand new book about him getting kind of itchy so don't miss out open up your listening app right now and subscribe and for premium membership benefits that'll make you ask yourself how is it even humanly conceivable that this is all the work of one man and one one man alone just visit patreon.com slash discograffiti we've got a hundred episodes available exclusively on patreon and that number as well as the discograffiti inner circle is growing exponentially by the day that's patreon.com slash discograffiti and away we go then As lead guitarist and songwriter for Testament, tonight's guest was at the forefront of the second wave of thrash metal in the late 80s. In a 2021 Revolver Magazine fan poll, his band was voted Best Non-Big Four Thrash Act. More on that later. The shadow of his influence has fallen hard and heavy over the years, certainly unmistakable in the music of Pantera, Sepultura, White Zombie, Korn, Lamb of God, and so many others. Guitar World magazine named him one of the greatest guitarists of all time and they know their shit because it says it right there in the title. Lads and ladies, snatch up your top secret documents and start shredding because an arpeggio flurry is about to rain down on your shriveled excuse for a collective
1: soul. It's Alex Skolnick. What an intro. I don't even know if I can follow that. Well, let's just end it here then. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining
0: us. Yeah, Uh, good to be here. Thank you. Ingve Malmsteen, Steve Vai, all those guys, they're really good and they showboat and they deserve to, but it's just not for me and I don't hear the emotion. For you, my favorite song you have ever written, and I've heard everything, is Ofri.
1: Oh, wow. Oh, that's
0: interesting. Oh, Free is my absolute favorite song by you, which is on Goodbye to Romance, which I've heard 10, 15 times within the Mm -hmm. space of a couple days. And you never let go of the idea that even though I can hit these notes and I've mastered this thing, that doesn't necessarily mean that the emotion's just going to drip out of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. On that recording, that was my first foray into original songs. After that, every album had more and more original tracks but i just i was so new to composing So for I then I I was more focused on arranging. That's why I had all these arrangements of hard rock songs.
0: For those who don't know the history, from 1992 to 2005, you jumped out of a plane without a parachute. And then in 2005, you get to water all of your seeds of influence. 2005 to the present, you're back in Testament. And so as I'm listening to all your material, and by the way, I actually like the later stuff better. There's Mm -hmm. something about the, the way that it hits in a much more forceful manner it feels like a real battering ram maybe because of the 80s production there's
1: a oh yeah absolutely people know how to record this type of music now it's fucking pummeling it's punishing yeah back then it was such a new thing yeah it was very hard to get it produced well there aren't that many well-produced records of very heavy music from back then it's one thing that set metallica apart i mean they were just really good at recording that music and yeah they really had a, a really nice vision for it uh slayer started sounding really good once rick rubin came on board But I mean, in my opinion, yeah, even the first couple Megadeth records, although the material's awesome, (laughs) it's priceless material. To me, yeah, the production, no comparison to how they would sound later on. And now, you know, they have an amazing sound. Yeah, I just, I think part of it is just, yeah, everybody sort of learned how to record this music. So I agree. I I like the later music better. And it's fun to play the older songs live because everything sounds so much better. This is a question that was definitely haunting me through listening to... So
0: everything from 2005 on is are you trying to restrain yourself because now you've unlocked this suspended cords and all these you know what Joni Mitchell would call cords Uh, of inquiry so you know so do you have to restrain yourself and hold yourself
1: back Uh, that's a good question I wouldn't say hold myself back I would say there are some ideas that I try that I decide against using in the long run because it's just too much you know it's not uh, an instrumental rock album that's you know it might work on a stew ham recording for example or the project i have with percy jones from grand X, or something like that you no know, i want you know, i want it to fit with testament but that said, I, I do manage to sneak in some ideas that I think sound uh, a little different. The slowing
0: down, the more melodic approaches, like on The Ritual in 92, is that them saying, okay, you can you know have your cake and eat it too. And then you were like, you know what? It's just not enough of this kind of stuff. I need it to be all of this kind of stuff. Is, is that what happened there?
1: Or am I reading into it? Uh, a little bit, a little bit. I think a lot of it's just bad communication on my yeah. part, much as anybody else's, there was pressure to Just always solo over these riffs that were too busy going a million miles an hour, and it just didn't feel adequate to express anything. You know, the occasional more slow down solo like Souls of Black or Electric Crown or Return to Serenity, which are ones Mm -hmm. that people bring up often to this day. You know, there was a huge fight just to get those even to even try. You know, and usually in the studio, it was somebody you know an engineer or a producer or somebody that would say oh that's saying on the record you yeah. guys want to get rid of that you guys are <sighs> <be it?"> yeah. <laughs> right right was it
0: everyone in the band who was against the idea of not watering it down with jazz chords but sort of beefing it up in a different direction were they all uh, well, hesitant
1: no but i think eric peterson yeah with great respect because i understand he started the band and by that point you know we're doing the band but the singer always gets a lot of attention mm-hmm. and then i'm getting all this attention and he was kind of more like a Malcolm Young. yeah, He was the guy holding it together who'd started it. But that was creating some tension. And I think also the fact that when he started the band, he was inspired by Motorhead slayer venom you know these sort of really hardcore extreme metal bands at the time almost cartoon like yeah yeah and and you know with almost like a more garage rock mentality mm-hmm. I love motorhead yeah great you, know, you don't talk about the solos it's not something you listen to for the solos right so I think it got a little weird that okay here's testament that the the vision originally was a band like like that you know the, oh, suddenly the solos are getting all this attention so there there was that but but also, yeah, from my point of view, I just wanted things to be more musically interesting. I just thought, you know, we're doing so much stuff at that- sounds like stuff we've done it sounds like stuff other people are doing let's make things more colorful let's try different keys let's try different chords different harmonies there's so much we could do yeah there was a lot of resistance so i think by 92 i was pretty fed up i know there were other tensions going on within the band that had nothing to do with me and uh, i just i was just tired of it being a fight to get musically interesting ideas
0: recorded (laughs) So what changed in 13 years? What wound up changing in 2005? Was it them reaching out to you or who had the change of heart? Who saw the potential, I should say, of adding in those suspended cords into a metal framework? Uh, Some promoters.
1: (laughs) It's always the fucking promoters. The promoters that thought if we get the original lineup of Testament back together, even if it's just for a weekend of shows, that would be exciting. We got an offer to play in Europe. I think it was the Dynamo Festival, which had been the first festival the band had ever played at. So it was kind of historically significant and at that point there were also there were several other factors but you got along and it worked we were getting along again we'd worked out some business issues you know like their people had talked to my people and you know there were some business things cleared up and then once that happened it seemed like the last thing anybody would expect because by 2005 I've got a few of my instrumental albums out you yeah, know I'm definitely more on that path
0: you're in and a whole then- new mindset I mean anyone who's following your career is it got to be shocked
1: I was the guy that used to do this thrash metal stuff. And now I got a music degree and I've Which by
0: the way, is not that shocking. I mean, the music you played in Testament, it's not like it was simple. Right. It's just complex in a different way.
1: Yeah. But also by 2005, I knew how to play with a saxophone player. I knew how to play with a piano player. I got called for a recording session that was more pop or some other style. Like I knew what I was doing. Yeah. I was a a full-time professional. I didn't care what kind of music. It was yeah, like um, Jimmy
0: Page from sixty five to sixty seven or something. Yeah,
1: yeah, I guess for me, it was, yeah, it was kind of like the reverse, right? So I, yeah, I was doing studio stuff, nothing especially noteworthy, but you know, on a professional level, yeah. And I I was touring with my group, and the guys came around to the shows, which was fun. That's cool. Yeah, so it was it was fun, and it was a, a cool thing, and they enjoyed meeting the guys in my instrumental band and vice versa, and it's just yeah. So the vibes were really good. Yeah, I think uh, also. I did a guest track for the band Lamb of God. You did one solo, right? Yes, really enjoyed it. The title track of Ashes of the Wake. Called Ashes of the Wake, yeah. Yeah. A short time after that, they came around and played in New Jersey for one of the OzFest. So at that point, OzFest is happening. And OzFest really helped reignite heavy metal in a lot of ways. In some ways, it never went away. In Europe, it certainly never went away. But in the US, suddenly you have this touring festival that, yeah, it was a big deal. You know, and everybody from Ozzy to Black Sabbath to Judas Priest on the higher end of the scale to groups that were going to be headliners in the future, like Lamb of God and Slipknot. Slipknot, I think they were already like well on their way. But I saw all these bands, I saw what was happening then, just the response I got and just the appreciation from the other band was just amazing. A lot of them had listened to testament when they were younger uh, a lot of them were familiar with my instrumental stuff too at least the guitar players what i love yeah. is before
0: 2005 you were getting more and more outre before you got back into the band so you know you have stratospherius which is just batshit crazy in the best way and so ofri aliaz talk about unexpected their judeo-spanish songs it's sort of middle eastern vibe to it so different from anything else you'd ever let your talents to before you know, yeah and-, and then all of a sudden you're Testament and you're peeling insane riffs onto the Lamb of God record it had to have felt good to just let it rip at that point because you know you've been practicing restraint for 13 years Sure, sure. I have a theory and I could be totally wrong but every time I came upon and excuse me for bringing this up but I read it a few times in all my research everywhere I turn its testament you know is considered the best non big four thrash act now that phrase annoyed me because I'm thinking from your perspective that that's got to be like a backhanded compliment every time you read it. But my theory is that you guys being described that way in a consistent manner made Mm -hmm. you guys better and better and better as time went on. And that's not how bands are supposed to go. You and I know that. Right. Exactly. Do you think that that played a part in you guys working harder and harder and getting more and more ferocious? Hi, I'm Dave Gebro. I threw my career as a licensed hearing instrument specialist in the trash, sold my house, and moved to the East Coast with my wife and four-year-old son in order to focus on making the ultimate podcast for music obsessives thrive. Now I need your help. Although Discography is rated in the top 2% of all podcasts globally, the economics of this thing are tricky. My monthly income at the moment totals a whopping $760. Becoming a member of Discograffiti's Patreon gives you access to over 100 more episodes, and moving forward, you'll get up to three shows a week. There's the main show every Friday, Wednesday's brand new series, The Top Ten, and Monday's wildcard episode, which could be anything from interview bonus material, our buried treasure show, Rock Cousteau, our slag-off show, Queasy Listening, and exclusive limited series like The Private Press with Paul Major. And if you've got no financial worries to speak of, Keep in mind that some of the higher Patreon tiers allow you to actually advertise on the show, choose the bands we cover, or even some of the guests we get. For the price of a cup of coffee a week, you can ensure my family's fed, build a music library that'll be the envy of your block, and connect to a thriving community of music maniacs all at the same time. Don't risk feeling badly about yourself by not giving patreon.com slash discograffiti once again that's patreon.com slash discograffiti and now back to our expertly crafted program
1: yeah i think it was just circumstantial again when the original lineup got back together in 2005 it was totally unexpected it was because of this offer to play overseas And there was no pressure. It was just we were gonna have fun, and that was the first time the band was gonna have fun because it wasn't fun during that first wave of the band, even though it it probably looks fun from the outside. But there was just just so much pressure—pressure to follow up one album with another, not being experienced, and just you know finding ourselves you know out in the the music world and just not agreeing on how we should go about it. So by yeah, by the time the band gets back together in the 2000s, there's no pressure. It's just, this is going to be fun. Yeah, Chuck Billy had gone through this cancer battle. Right. The band, we'd all sort of gotten together bonded together over that that really helped bring everybody together as well Yeah, you know, when chuck was going through this that was around 2000 2001
0: so is that what brought you in to do the re-recordings for first strike yes. still deadly okay yeah so, so really that was the the prelude to the promoter coming in that kind of rolled out the carpet for that to happen
1: yeah absolutely Okay. Uh, yeah that was that was right around that time i mean chuck was starting to get better at that point yeah. so first strike still deadly happened then a few years later the offer to do the live show yeah The show led to more shows. The show went well. We got more offers. You know, we we spent a couple of years just getting these occasional offers to play a few times a year. But it started increasing. Then, you know, it was instead of just an occasional weekend, it would be a a week here and there. And then uh, the big offer, the offer that really changed everything was a tour called the Metal Masters Tour. It was Motorhead, Heaven and Hell, basically Black Sabbath with Dio singing and Judas Priest. And they needed an act to kick off that show. And if we would have a new album, Testament could take that tour. So that was a big moment of reckoning. Like we really had to have a big talk. Okay, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? So the, the original drummer, Louis Clemente, was not ready to do it. Uh, He's not a player when he's outside of the band. He was a guy who Mm -hmm. played well when he was in the band, but otherwise he just wouldn't play. And the whole time he'd been out of the band, he'd pretty much been out of music. John Tempesta was supposed to be the drummer. He got hired by the cult and it ended up being Paul Bostaff. And the album was called The Formation of Damnation. And by then, you know, just doing an album at that point, after all we'd been through, it was a completely different experience. So how
0: how so? I'm also curious if it was hard to resummon the perspective to get back into that mind frame.
1: I mean, did it feel
0: when you first stepped into the studio, were you a little bit afraid that it would feel like a young man's game or were you able to easily access that spirit and energy to get you back in there?
1: It came naturally. We knew we sounded good together. By that time, those guys had been through so many musicians. The lineup was constantly changing. And they, they recognized that, especially with Eric and I playing guitars, that was pretty irreplaceable. So yeah, we were excited and we realized, you know, we, we can do this. We can do a record. I had worked with other artists at that point. I'd been in the studio so many times, both as a session player and just doing my own albums. Yeah, it was, just, it was very different than those first few albums where it was just such a new, scary experience. So, and, and you know, it wasn't perfect. Obviously there would be disagreements. There were obvious things to work out, but it wasn't like before.
0: It's my favorite so, album of years up to that point. Okay, my favorite cool. Testament record, you know, as an outsider, I just felt like it was particularly punishing. Like if, I, if I'm going to listen to that, I want to be kicked in the throat. Like who's produce records, you know, like there's a total absence of bass on it. And so I'm kind of kicked in the forehead. Mm. I want to be kicked a little bit lower.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. You know,
0: I don't know if this is something that you guys have explored because a lot of your lyrical Conceits are sort of located externally, the political or conspiratorial. So I went to school for film. I've made two feature films. I make horror movies and, you know, metal and horror. They're very, very similar. You have these, you know, cartoonish expressions of, you know, real serious, depressing, horrifying things. And then as you get older, like you and I talked earlier about taking care of your parents, that kind of stuff. And, you know, I've been through a ton of medical stuff. The real horror. Comes out and then the signifiers that you and I both play with in our separate artistic pursuits, they take on a whole new thing where it's not a cartoon anymore. And then the work can become truly three dimensional. And I I feel like perhaps you guys have not made that record yet or, or you're not interested in making it, but. I would love to hear that record where you connect the outside with the inside because when you integrate, like you did with Alex Golnick Trio's Goodbye to Romance, when you have assimilated and integrated your influences, it's a chills down the spine thing. Mm -hmm. To me, that's why it's my favorite of your records because man, are you having your cake and eating it too. I mean, this is like, you know, you and I texted briefly about it and I don't know if it holds the same importance to you as you look back over the so many records that you've released is it a special one for you like a really special one what's the one or two or three that really hang with you oh well
1: you know it's always the next one (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) Um, and i do have one recorded it's not mixed yet but i'm pretty excited about it i feel like it's a breakthrough record in a lot of ways it doesn't even have a title yet so we'll talk about that when it's out
0: which band is that is that alex skolnick trio it's alex
1: skolnick trio yeah sweet
0: for those who don't know what goodbye to romance is it encapsulates your goals with the trio right mm-hmm. yeah which is uh you know these sort of bop renditions of classic rock and metal tunes right
1: yeah well it was a statement in a lot of ways oh um, it's a total statement yeah and it, it was also my way of showing that i have something to say outside of being pigeonholed as the thrash guy not rejecting not uh, rejecting that's the crucial part you could have done yeah yeah you could have done a whole
0: different thing where you're like "Fuck it i'm just going off on flights of fancy but no detroit rock city dream on goodbye to romance pinball wizard war pigs and then
1: your originals are as good as all these other songs oh thank you thank you Um, uh really are yeah it was just a way of sort of tying together where i'd come from and where i was going it just felt right. In some ways, it was something that was crazy. I could see somebody looking at it and thinking, I'm crazy. Like, why am I playing an archtop guitar? This elegant instrument with F-holes, mostly clean tone that you would call jazz guitar. And I'm not doing, you know, an instrumental... Shred record or a more metal version of a Satriani record, which I'd been asked to do by you know some prominent labels that do that type of stuff, and I just it just wasn't in me. It's just not what I do. I wasn't feeling it, so I did what I was feeling, as crazy as it is, and that's how that that record came together so i think i play better now i'm a better arranger i'm a better producer but the record it still sounds good to me it's gorgeous uh, it's like gorgeous now is certainly tied back to that record it's your mission statement
0: in a lot of ways is it feels like your mission statement and, yeah. and for all i know you know you hear otis redding singing you think oh my god he's got to be really feeling that but mm-hmm. uh maybe he was just hitting the notes but You sound like you're feeling something here. I don't know what you were going through at the time, but whatever it was, these tracks are suffused
1: with emotion. Yeah, absolutely. That's so cool. Yeah. And I I think maybe, you know, somebody that doesn't get that type of music or would rather hear me do pure metal shred, maybe they're not going to get it as much. But a lot of folks do get it. People who might not have been aware of me before. And that to me, that's more important.
0: Ever wondered what your favorite bands talk about after the gig, on the long van ride between Reno and Salt Lake City? Do you miss having in-depth conversations about music with your closest friends, picking apart why some songs are good and why some miss the mark completely? Do you read every inch of the available liner notes and still shake a fist at the clouds yelling for more, damn it, more? If any of this sounds familiar, 1001 Album Complaints is the podcast for you. Every week, musicians and close friends give irreverent but informed takes on a new classic album pulled randomly from the book 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. The hosts do extensive research telling the stories behind your favorite records and helping you better understand how songs, both great and terrible, were conceived and built from the ground up. In short, it's a deep dive with lots of laughs. So if you want to sound informed and funny when talking about music, I recommend you follow or subscribe to 1001 Album Complaints right now. It's available everywhere. And then even your approach with the trio starts to funnel outwards. You know, with Last Day in Paradise in 2007, you're bringing in some funk underpinnings. And yeah. then on Western Sabbath Stomp, it's the first dose of blues-based rock that you'd assimilated back into the jazz-based work.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because at that point, I felt like, all right, I've, I've proven I can play clean. Yeah. And, you know, the type of sound that was on the majority of the trio songs at that point, okay, I had done that. It really felt safe to bring in some different sounds. So why not this crunchy sound, definitely inspired by Black Sabbath, but a little bit bluesier. Yeah, I mean, since since then, I'm pretty comfortable trying anything. Yeah, It doesn't have to be a certain is it, thing. Is it scary when you do something new all the time or no? No, I, w- I wouldn't say it's scary because, you know, anything is... Is worth trying yeah but i only want to put it out as a release and then play it live if i'm really feeling it and if the guys in the band are really feeling it sometimes it doesn't work That's a song that easily might not have worked because it's so different from what we were doing, but it really did. They came up with the bassist, Nathan, and the drummer, Matt. They came up with great parts for it. Yeah, every now and then I'll hear it or somebody will ask me about it. It was recently uh, suggested to be played on at a a performance. I don't don't think we're going to do it, but it's sort of on the back burner and Mm -hmm. I re-listened to it and it is really cool and really different. Yeah, it is. It is. I
0: like how, you know, my favorite thing about your trio is that it could have just been entirely just the other side of the fence but you broaden your approach to where you built a bridge back into Testament.
1: Yeah. It was just
0: like a magic trick. It's awesome.
1: I know. It's true. And that song was right before or right around that time that Testament was starting up again. And yeah, we didn't know it was starting up again because it was about three years before the formation of Damnation. And then things really started. Then we're regularly going to Japan once a year. We're going to Europe during the summer and all these festivals that had sprung up in the meantime.
0: And it feels like 2012 to 2014 was a particularly busy time for you where you felt like, where I don't know if you felt like it, but it certainly looks based on your activities that things were coming to a serious head. You had the Testament record, you had your book geek to guitar hero. And then you had Planetary Coalition, which we got to talk at length about. But those three things together, I mean, that must have jogged a whole lot of things loose inside you.
1: Sure, sure. Yeah, well, these were all things on my radar that I wanted to do and didn't know if I would get around to them. Yeah, a Planetary Coalition was something I I always knew I had at least one world music album in me. I probably have more, but it's just a matter of of time.
0: Let me read this. Your description of it is wonderful. So I I just want people to know when you say world music people might think of one region, but let me be explicit here It features musicians from all over the world driven by acoustic guitar and bringing together Inspirational melodies in-depth improvisation and the passion of the musical styles of gypsy Middle Eastern Indian Latin East Asian Mediterranean Balkan Eastern European African and other indigenous lands so when you say world music, it is almost literally a trip around the world.
1: Yeah, it ended up being that. I wasn't sure how it would go. I thought I will have at least a few artists from different regions. You know, there were a select few artists that I knew I could get. At that point, Rodrigo and Gabriela were having all this success. They had taken the trio out on some tour dates. They also had me guest on one of their records. It's called Eleven Eleven. So I knew I'll be able to get Rodrigo and Gabriela. They're so wonderful. They're still good friends. While I was touring with them, we did a show at Radio City Music Hall. And they flew in this group based in France. Uh, They're actually originally Palestinian citizens. Originally based there, but they mostly perform in Europe now. And they, they live in Paris called the Trio Gibran. They're amazing. And we hit it off. I was able to get one of them, Adnan Gibran. He plays Oud? He plays Oud, yeah. So there's two right there. And then there's a group called House of Waters that are really good friends of mine. And they're actually really starting to rise in stature. They do a lot of shows now with the group Snarky Puppy. That's Mm -hmm. now a Grammy winning kind of global phenomenon. But this was before that. We just had some mutual musician friends that introduced me to them. And I realized they could be the foundational group on this album. So I figured, okay, I'll have some songs that are sort of small ensemble collaborations or duos, like the song with Anad Gibran, the song with Rodrigo Gabriela, that's just them and me. And there's a few others like that, where it's just me and one other person, but the vast majority, it's me and this group, House of Waters.
0: And you're using tons of different guitars as well, right?
1: Yeah. I just, the more I worked on this, the more inspired I got to just try... Different musicians, different instruments. Just <laughs> I went a little crazy. I mean, it's the equivalent of a double album. Yeah, it's like there's, seventy minutes. Yeah. There's a musician from every continent except for Antarctica. <laughs> and, we'll have to, uh, you'll have to do an Antarctica-only sequel. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I was also inspired by uh Rye Cooter. Oh, yeah, cool. uh, Rye Cooter's got these great albums with artists from the Middle East and, and different countries. And they tend to be very specific. Like Buena Vista is very specifically Cuban. Right. I just thought, okay, I don't know when I'm going to get a chance to do this. Instead of it being one specific thing, let me just do a different track with, you know, a different artist from a different place. Yeah, that that's how that album came together and um, yeah, very proud of that.
0: Yeah, it's a major work. It sounds like a lot of work went into it.
1: It was a lot, a lot of work went into it. I, it kind of has a cult following too. There are Yeah, for good reason. Fans yeah, that come up to me that are just so, in, that listen to that album constantly. Yeah, so, and I feel like your work
0: in this area is probably not done.
1: Yeah, I I would like to think so.
0: Yeah, it it doesn't seem like it would be. And then, of course, that was right before you joined a heavy metal (laughs) supergroup. Right, yes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) So Metal Allegiance is awesome. Again, the figuring out of how to properly present your stuff so you're hit in the appropriately hard way, it's pummeling and really, Mm -hmm. really good. So you're with David Ellefson, Mike Portnoy, and Mark Mengi. Is that right? Yeah. Really good stuff. I know they have two albums and an EP. Are you just on the self-titled one? I'm on
1: all the recordings.
0: Okay. So as things kinda get more recent, is Azusa the last thing that you released? Your lead guitar work on Detach and oh. Test and Testament's Titans of
1: Creation, is that the last thing you've done that was released? Yeah, I played on a track by an artist named Laszlo Jones from Europe. It's weird in a good way. It's kind of danceable club music. That's interesting. You good. haven't you definitely haven't gone there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that was it was just a guest track.
0: By the way, on Conundrum from two- 2018, your trio record, Mm -hmm. your rendition of Satish Jinnapati 1 is so beautiful. I mean, I've heard a million versions of it and your torch song, brush drumming, undergirding it. The take on it is very, very emotionally moving. Oh,
1: thank you. Thank you. I've done some other guest tracks too. So I played on an album by Dave House, H-A-U-S-E. That was recent? Yeah. Okay. I think last year, which is kind of Americana. Oh, Cool. Almost country. It's probably the most country recording I've, I've done. Do you have any country underpinning? no really. I mean, I like some. Yeah, I have a few licks I use. I did a track called Culture Shock. That's on Conundrum, where it's very Nashville flavored, and I use a Telecaster on part of it. But it's yeah, you know, it's never been my main thing. And I know there's people who really specialize in that.
0: Coming up, where do you see your focus? Is it still going to be wherever the hell you want to put it on any given day, or? Do you feel yourself being pulled in a specific direction
1: i get well i get pulled depending on what's going on oh uh, one more guest track mike zito he's a great blues artist award-winning blues artist actually he did a tribute album of chuck berry songs a lot of great guests on it. joe bonamassa is a guest on that sure is there any genre that you don't like Oh, <laughs> there's got to be one, right? Well,
0: you're already You've been working with scratching, so that's hip hop. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, I, I definitely like hip hop. Is there any genre where you're gonna where you're gonna draw the line? K-pop? Uh, you know, it depends what it is. I guess I'm I'm not a big fan of music that feels mechanical to me. Yeah, even though there's a lot of drum machine and computers in hip hop, especially yeah, you know, some of the, the hip hop that I like, it doesn't feel mechanical to me. right you know it it makes me groove so i have no problem with that there is though like a lot of the top pop streaming Mm -hmm. songs these days it feels very mechanical like the stuff that could be they're worried that ai is gonna copy it (laughs) because it's so easy to copy and so mechanical
0: It'll probably have more feeling when done by AI. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) This podcast is definitely a get off my lawn type of podcast. So,
1: (laughs) yeah, it'll be falling on
0: empathetic ears for
1: sure. It's not like I can't find any new pop music to like yeah like some of billy eilish's music is quite unique i think her voice is really unique yeah miley cyrus i, I can't pretend I'm, I'm a big listener but i respect that she's done stuff like guesting with metallica having david byrne guest with her yeah on her year's eve show
0: what's the most non-metal like if you're jean jacket wearing metal fans if they knew you liked a certain artist what would be the most surprising one already you've shredded everyone's expectations and conceptions about you so nothing would be truly surprising but what would be the most i don't know classic country patsy klein i'm guessing yeah yeah
1: Country I, don't metal. Know. I, Country I don't know metal. if i would would that surprise anybody at this point I, at
0: um, this point no but i i just <laughs> like if you never left testament what would be the most surprising but you definitely left testament and thank yeah. god you did because you brought so
1: much back into the band i mentioned mike zito that was a mm-hmm. blues artist i guess they don't and that wasn't that long ago and yeah you, you'd asked what i'm working on i'm about to go to Estonia. To teach Stu ham has a uh, music camp it's mostly bass students but i'll be teaching i'll be one of a couple guitar players there but i'm getting ready for that learning the music one of the bass teachers is mohini day i don't know if you know who she is but no yeah she's like the current super hot shot bass player like a victor wooten or a stanley clark but female and from india incorporating all this crazy indian Rhythm into her music. So I'm, I'm learning one of her tracks. It's just insane. And Where did you start uh, teaching? After leaving Testament. I mean, for a few years, I was local and that was what I did. I, I would teach locally. But also, I, I started getting invited to these music camps pretty early on. One of the classic ones is called National Guitar Summer Workshop that would take place every summer. So every other year or so, I would go and be part of that faculty. I think that was probably early 90s. Also the G4 with Joe Satriani, right? Yeah, no, I've done a couple of those. That's been a more recent thing, but I did his 2018 version of that, which was a huge honor. That had Eric Johnson and Steve Vai and Mike Keneally. The most recent one was just insane. This year, back in January, there was Steve Lukather, Steve Morse, John Five, Eric Gales, some younger players like uh, Mateus Asado, Corey Wong. Too many to name, but it was just an insane lineup. I love doing those.
0: Do you think you gravitated towards doing that in a sort of backwards way to deepen your relationship with your parents?
1: Oh, that's interesting. I don't... But definitely not consciously. But has it has it had that effect? Probably, yeah. I mean, they can certainly relate to that being professors. And I think once I started getting invited to give master classes and then uh, writing of guitar columns for guitar magazines, which I did in the '90s for Guitar World and Guitar for the Practicing Musician, I've written for a Guitar Player too. That was relatable. Mm-hmm. There's a certain respectability to writing in a magazine, and also I think once I did my own recordings and it was the trio. Yeah. It's just much more listenable and relatable. Yeah, I know yeah, it was certainly there wasn't the goal of impressing my parents, but it was I won't lie, it was it felt good to say they really enjoyed the the record.
0: I don't care who you are. You want to hear your mom and dad say I love you and I get it. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I don't care who you are, you know. We're very very simple beings. I know I am. The the older I get, the more I realize I'm not nearly as complicated as I thought I was when I was was younger
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah i hear you
0: so i have three questions here in the discography mailbag so hannah mm-hmm. christine nicholson from the alex skolnick trio group asks when is his jazz trio putting out the new record i'm eager as holy hell
1: to hear it okay well it is recorded we're about halfway through 2023 so unfortunately if you release an album anytime after the summer it very quickly becomes last year's album <laughs> right right so it just doesn't make sense to release it this year so i'm looking at most likely spring of 2024 and in the meantime i'm probably going to put out a song or two as a single slash video awesome yeah
0: i can't wait man all right donald haynes from thrash metal fans asks i was wondering if alex still uses heritage and Eben as guitars Oh, interesting.
1: Yeah, I started out on Ibanez guitars, at least, well, from the time of the Second Testament recording, the New Order. But I was such a new kid on the scene. I didn't really know that that guitar I was playing was going to inspire like other people to p- play that type of guitar. <laughs> mm-hmm. As I evolved in my musical tastes and as a composer and musician, my taste in guitars changed too. So I still like my Ibanezes, but I don't play them live. And the same with the Heritages. I have the Heritages at home and I'll still play them at home, but I rarely play them out. But I, I still enjoy them and still use them. All right, last question here
0: is Eric Butte from the Testament Disciples of Thrash Group. It says, fans and seeing Legacy at Ruthie's, and mm-hmm. his question is, you mostly have a female fan base, lots of dreamy drawings of you guys on your Facebook page. How does that feel at this stage of your career? FYI, I don't see drawings of Exodus or Death Angel with big eyes and flowing hair. Oh, that's funny. At first, I thought, well, that's kind of a rude question. But actually, if I sense any kind of arc here in your work... It, and I'm way more curious about how you see it than than how I do. It's an arc that incorporates a certain kind of self-effacement that has made mm-hmm. you a better and better and better guitarist. So yeah, those dreamy drawings. Mm-hmm. I am actually curious how that feels.
1: Oh, it's nice. It's, it's yeah. flattering. I wouldn't say that's the majority of our fan base. I would say uh, it's probably more male than female. But the fact that there mm. is a portion that is female and they're inspired to do drawings, that that's wonderful. Yeah, uh, very. It's, it's very flattering, and it's nice to know that we're not limiting our, our listenership. Usually, I
0: write up an overview, you know, a little piece about what I've gleaned from taking in the interview subjects material. You have a ton of albums, ton. I listened to so much music in preparation for this, and I have my own conceptions, but what do
1: you see? Over time, Uh, yeah, I definitely see a lot of evolving and self-discovery, unpredictability. Yeah, I think at a certain point, I realized you know no two people are exactly the same. Yeah, the guitarists that I grew up idolizing, Randy Rhodes, Eddie Van Halen, and so forth. Later, you know, Pat Matheny, and John Scofield, Al DiMeo, so everybody just has such a different trajectory and a different life. You can't plan anything, and even though um, you know you may be inspired by a player in the end it's your story and it's going to write itself i i think i'm proud that my story doesn't look like anybody else's yeah it really doesn't
0: that i've come across it's been a blessing for me to take it all in really and oh,
1: i'm glad to hear that
0: Thank you know you. i have i have my top three records but hysterically enough it's Probably not going to mirror most of the people who would be listening to the show, which is kind of yes. great. My number three is Alex Skolnick Trio's Conundrum. Mm-hmm. Number two is Planetary Coalition. And number one is Alex Skolnick Trio's Goodbye to Romance. It's truly a masterpiece. I mean, thank uh, you so much.
1: Man. It's great to hear. It's great to hear somebody else's perspective on all this.
0: It's beautiful. You know, to hear you go from Testament to that stuff, that's what tells a story. That's what makes doing this show a continuous process of discovery. Because had I not known that, had I not Known your
1: work, it's easy to be reductive towards somebody's capabilities or their career. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, I appreciate it. I'm glad it's that side is appreciated. Absolutely.
0: And, you know, for the sleeve of your book, which describes, you know, this lonely, awkward kid who, you know, grabbed onto metal as a buoy so as not to drown, you sound very, very comfortable in your own skin. And it's great to see that
1: metal and jazz can do that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I just, it took a long time to realize that it's okay to do that, even though it seemed like an odd thing at one point in time. Nowadays, it's not as odd, but at one time, the idea of somebody seriously pursuing jazz and heavy metal was unthinkable. Yeah, you know, you definitely gained
0: a fan here, man. Thanks, man. I appreciate it all right that about does it a heartfelt discography thanks goes out to my beautiful wife and son jen and mason rudy fishman the great alex Skolnick, my incredibly loyal fans and especially the entire patreon community the soldiers of sound i love every last one of you and this show would not exist without you my friends Speaking of friends, it's high time for some new ones. They're in our Facebook group, Discograffiti Soldiers of Sound. That's the best way to find out what's coming up on the show, but there's a hell of a lot more. You get recaps of the day in music history, the ability to pitch questions to guests, polls that put you in the driver's seat on guest and band decisions, and access to a thriving creative hub if you're looking for a collaborator. So make sure you don't miss out. You can find the link to the Discography Soldiers of Sound Facebook page right there in the show notes. And if you don't mess with the Zuck, no sweat. Just email me at info at discography.com and I'll keep you in the loop. So now that it's done and you want more, another way to dive even deeper into the bone-crunching pleasures of metal is to dive headfirst into Jim Florentine from That Metal Show rating Black Sabbath in a massive five-hour interview split into four episodes. That's 64, 65, 67, and 68. Then there's my interview with No Ages' Randy Randall. That's episode 88, as well as Randy rating the Jesus Lizards catalog in a 2 two-parter that's 70 and 71 and finally our legendary van halen episode episode number nine join us during the upcoming week as we descend down 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 on discography's week-long alex skolnick part two deep dive of course, if you're a Patreon subscriber, then you already know to keep your ears peeled throughout the week, because this Monday brings a heap and helping of the wildcard episode digressions I actively court and serve up piping hot for our Patreon family. And by the way, it's free to join now. You don't actually have to pay to be a part of Patreon. This Monday, you can finally trust that day, because we're coming at you with Fillmore Feast Part 6, the finale of Alan Arkish's incredibly popular series, and then there's this Wednesday's incredible Patreon-only episode of Disco The Top 10. This week's list features the indomitable Joe Kennedy and focuses on our top 10 suicidal music career decisions. And the episode came out so damn good that I've decided to offer it up free of charge this Wednesday. So don't miss it. That's two free episodes this week. What have you done for me lately? Speaking of... Make sure you visit patreon.com slash discograffiti and check out the thematically related deep dive as a music obsessive's way of life. Our Patreon's been up and running for a year, and with two episodes a week coming at you, there are now over 100 Patreon episodes at this point. That's an entire universe of indispensable music podcasts available to you for the price of a cup of coffee a week. And of course, be sure to mark your calendars because next Friday, December 8th, which is my son's fifth birthday, we're coming at you with Mike motherfucking Watt rating the entirety of the Minutemen's output. Three solid weeks of Watt means a heavenly December for our subscribers. Trust me, you're not going to want to miss it. And so, from now till then, don't let our youth go to waste, lads and ladies. It's disco graffiti.